Praise the Lord. We are, have been looking at the book of John, and I know it's a tremendous book. I have preached, I have taught from it on numerous occasions, and I recognize that I am not doing it justice. I am not spending enough time, and, and you will hear sermons and hear things, and I know that there will be a lot of depth to this reading and understanding of John that I will go through, but um, I am trying to look at some of these stories from just a slight different angle, um, from maybe uh, giving you a little more of the history and giving you a little more of the uh, understanding potentially of some of the, the Jewish roots to some of these stories. For those of you who know, John was the last, probably the last of the Gospels written. Uh, and it was written uh, by the man uh, reportedly that was the same John that uh, wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John and that wrote uh, Revelation. And yet, and still, it was written before the doctrine of the Trinity was established, before 333 uh, or whatever it is, the Council of Nicaea, John was written back uh, below 100. And so, John uh, more than likely was writing to uh, predominantly Jewish believers and trying to drill home some important truths. That's why when we looked at John, uh, the first chapter, he starts off just like the book of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Well, in the beginning, that's how he starts his book. The Word was made, you know, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and, and he goes through it like that. And we see seven great miracles in the book of John, all uh, seven important signs that uh, he uh, talked about. We went through chapter 1 and 2 and then 3 and then 4. Uh, we started at the first verse of chapter 4 because uh, that verse, uh, we just hit the first three verses because if you read the third chapter, the end of the third chapter, it will sound like Jesus was baptizing uh, and yet he, it, it was his disciples, and how were they baptizing? Unto repentance. And it was a little controversial because the followers of John the Baptist uh, came to John and they were uh, a little uh, concerned that this guy by the name of Jesus, his disciples were baptizing. And so you, you hear and you see sort of a, a backstory uh, again where John reiterates, wait a minute, it's okay. I must decrease because he must increase. And yet 
John, uh, the, the author, the, uh, John the Beloved, writes that Jesus didn't actually baptize. Now, uh, that his disciples did. So we see an important piece of information that probably no one else uh, at that point had maybe recognized that Jesus' disciples were baptizing. They were doing what John the Baptist, that's in the very end of chapter 3. They were doing what John the Baptist. So it was not then unusual for Simon Peter to stand up with the 11 and change the, what was being said and done in the mode of baptism in Acts the second chapter when he said, when they said, what must we do? They kept baptism and they said, repent. That was because that John's baptism was a baptism unto what? Repentance. So he said, repent and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus for the remission of sins. So that was, now he was taking baptism from strictly repentance to the remission of sins, to actually do away with sins. And, and uh, they will talk about that. And then he said, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. But John, the fourth chapter, uh, <clears throat> opens up. And when therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. So what that meant was it's not that, that he was baptizing, and, and, and he's very clear here, though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. He left Judea. So what happened then is now here's a guy with 12 disciples and people are coming to them and they're baptizing and they're going around baptizing and actually they baptized more disciples than John the Baptist did. And so he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And then he says these words, he must needs go through Samaria. Everybody say Samaria. And he goes to the city of, what is the name of the city? Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. So it's, it's very specific about where Jesus went. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, being wearied with his journey, kind of important that he was human. He was doing, feeling what we're feeling. They walked, they didn't drive, and he was weary. And he sat on the well, and it was about the sixth hour, about noon. It wasn't the ninth hour, which would have been the hottest part of the day, which would have been like three o'clock in the afternoon. But this was about noon. They, the Jews uh, practice uh, the 6 a.m. sunrise, and then you count down, so the sixth hour would have been about our 12. And a woman of Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Now, Samaria was basically in the 
purview or in the parcel of ground that had originally been given to Ephraim. And Ephraim was the son of Joseph. And so when you say, well, who lived in Ephraim? Who were the Samaritans? And I guess this is kind of important because now we're seeing the conflict of Palestinians and Jews and, and uh, all of the, the thing that was, uh, you know, these different people and the, there's some history going on. Well, when did the Jews were there and then where the Samaritans and how did they all, you know, try to get along? And there's numerous, there, there's three or four passages in the word of God that talk about these people that lived in Samaria. Now, some of them could have been Gentiles. Some of them could have been half-breeds. But what we know is that most of those that lived in Samaria um, believed and followed uh, a very similar teaching and understanding that the Jews had. And yet they were not of the children of Israel. And so when you read in 2 Kings, uh, you will see that the king of Assyria brought men from Babylon, Cutha, from Abba, from Hamath, from Sepharaim, placed them in the cities of Samaria instead of the children of Israel. And they possessed Samaria and dwelt in the cities thereof. To understand the historical part of that, you have to understand that when the northern tribes were conquered, they were dispersed, and the Assyrians would send them into different places so that they didn't congregate together and they were not allowed to sort of all form together and form a resistance, if you will. Today, uh, a few weeks, my wife and I have to go to uh, Australia and then to Singapore, and Singapore is one city, one country, and uh, they have the similar rules. Uh, you uh, apply if you want to buy an apartment or live in an apartment in this place, or very few individual houses in, in Singapore, but um, uh, if you want to live in a, in a building or if you want to live, they, you have to tell them who you are. You have to go in for an interview. You ha they have to see your ethnicity, and they will only allow so many, whether it's Muslims or so many uh, people from Africa or so many people from South America or so many people from the United States because they don't want groups to congregate even in the city. Because what they know is that you get pockets of people that then get mad. And uh, in fact, one time when my wife and I were there, uh, uh, was it um, a man she might would remember, I don't remember his ethnicity, was maybe from India or something that got hit by a bus. And uh, all of a sudden they kind of called for all of the Indians in the city to come and protest and and uh, there was um, uh, basically the Singaporean army came through with canes and they were saying, okay, we, anybody that gets caught, we give you three lashes and uh, it dispersed. Uh, what they don't tell you is that uh, typically people pass out after the second one with the cane. It's uh, that intense. So, you know, 
it's pretty rough <coughs> that, you know, they're pretty tight. But uh, this king, it's in our Bible, 2 Kings 17. He sent back to Samaria. And notice what it says. And so it was at the beginning of their dwelling there that what? They feared not the Lord. And so what did the Lord do? Sent lions among them and killed some of them. And so somebody came and told the king of Samaria, of Assyria, uh, those nations that you put there and placed there in the cities of Samaria, they don't know the God of the land. And the, the God of the land sent lions among them because they don't know this God. And so the king of Assyria commanded saying, uh, carry one of the priests that you brought from there and let them go and live there and teach them the manner of the God of the land. And so when the priest carried away, uh, one of the priests whom they carried away from Samaria came and dwelt where? Bethel. What, what does the word Bethel mean? The house of God. Where was it? It was where Jacob, when he was running, he laid down and saw the angels ascending and descending. And so this priest, and he says, and he taught them that they should fear the Lord. Howbeit, every nation made gods of their own and put them in the houses of the high places which the Samaritans had made. Every nation in their cities wherein they dwelt. And then it goes through each one of the gods that they made there. So they feared the Lord and made, and notice this, very important, unto themselves of the lowest of them priests of the high places, which sacrificed for them in the houses of the high places. They feared the Lord, very important, and did what else? Serve their own gods after the manner of the nations whom they carried away from thence. Unto this day they do after the former matters. They fear not the Lord, neither do they after their statutes or after their ordinances or after the law and commandments which the Lord commanded the children of Jacob, whom he named Israel. <clears throat> so we know that the Samaritans had this mixture of fearing the Lord, obeying the Torah, but also having other gods. And so whether or not all of the people living there were Gentiles, when you read in Ezra, Gentiles came back to help rebuild the temple and they lived in what was be present day Samaria, Hezekiah, 2 Chronicles, the 30th chapter, the 31st chapter, tried to reconnect them he celebrated Passover. He invited, in fact, sort of demanded that the Samaritans come. But there was, I don't know if you can see that map, but Samaria is there between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea. Jerusalem is near the Dead Sea. If you go down to the bottom left is Egypt, where Gaza is. The West Bank is sort of where Decapolis or that purple would be up, except it comes down 
into where Jerusalem is. So here were people alive during the time of Jesus, and the city of Sychar dwelt right between two mountains. Anybody want to guess what mountains there were? Mount Gerizim on the south and Mount Ebal on the north. Now, why were those mountains important? I know some of y'all were going to say that. Why were those two mountains important? Because whenever they were coming into uh, the land, Joshua made half the people stand on one mountain, remember? And half of them stand on the other. And he said, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. Are you going to serve these? You'll get blessings. Are you going to serve the other gods? You're going to be cursed. And so here you have this split between Mount Gerizim and Mount of uh, Ebal. And so uh, what what you find there is that the Jews often would avoid Samaria because they didn't know who they were going to come in contact with. Was this going to be a half-breed? Was it going to be somebody that worshipped other gods? And they, they had, a, had a real sense that we don't want to go there. In fact, um, there, when, you, when you read through um, what the Samaritans actually believed, uh, they believed in one God. They believed in Yahweh, and they professed that, although you could have other gods. They believed in one prophet, and that prophet was Moses. They also believed in one book, and that book was the Torah. And they believed in one place, and that was Gerizim. And so that's where they said you should worship. Now, most of the Jews would have believed in one God. They would not have allowed other gods, but they believed in one God, Yahweh. They also believed in one book where, you know, the book of the Torah. But the Jews also believed there was more than one prophet, and they had books of prophecy that they also believed in, and they did not believe in Gerizim was the mountain that you should worship alone in, that that they said you could worship in Jerusalem. So the city of Sychar that Jesus went to was also the city by the name in the Old Testament of Shechem. And it is, was later named Nablus. And now, if you were on a map of present-day Israel, Tel Balata would be about where this city was. Now, why is Shechem important? Because Shechem is where the bones of Joseph were, were buried. There in, Jer- in Joshua, the 24th chapter. It was also one of the cities of refuge that Joshua set up in the 21st chapter. So it was a city of mercy. It was a city of of grace. If you had inadvertently killed someone, you could run to a city of refuge. This is where that Joshua made them choose. This is where Jacob's well was. And the Deuteronomy, remember one of the first five books, Torah, what the Jews believe in, Deuteronomy says, I will raise them up a prophet. 
capital P, prophet, from among their brethren like unto thee, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not listen unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. Now this woman believed that verse. And I know we often believe that this was a very sinful woman because she'd been divorced five times. And I'm not so sure that that necessarily has to be. It could have been that five of her husbands died. Because you see, a woman doesn't get to instigate or initiate a divorce. In that time, only a man could divorce his wife. A woman did not have the authority to go in and say, I want to divorce my husband. Now, if there was a case of abuse, uh, she could bring him before, and they did not allow her to divorce him. They took the man to a rock party. They stoned him. And so there was not... So, you know, I, I've, I've often said, bad woman five husbands, and the Bible says she's living with a man out of wedlock, but it doesn't say she's living as his wife. It could have been a relative, an uncle. It could have been someone, uh, but whether, whichever it is, if she was an evil woman who uh, husbands couldn't live with her, uh, or maybe they divorced her because she didn't have children, and the point was that she was destitute, she had no support, and she had to go into whatever home that would allow her to come in. And maybe it was uh, not a, uh, the, the best of relationships, but this woman, it may not have been evil of her own choosing. This woman may have gone through the ringer, and she was basically left in a, in a destituted sense of who she was and where she was and who people were and, and the, her bad luck. Almost like we would say Joseph would not have been to blame for the way his brothers treated him, right? And yet here she was at the place where Joseph's bones were and where it had been a city of refuge. And so, you know, however you want to believe it, and it's okay, but immediately when this lady heard Jesus, because he says something about, you know, she immediately tells him, we worship in this mountain, you say you go down to Jerusalem. So she knew enough about their belief. And he said, you know, and we'll read what he said, you know, there's coming where there's not going to be worship in this mountain or Jerusalem. But the point was, uh, he said, go call your husband. And she said, I have no husband. And what did the Lord tell her? Truth, you don't have a husband. And the guy you're living with is not your husband. Now, we don't know whether that was a good relationship or a, a one of destitution, but whatever it was. 
She was, had had five. Maybe they had all divorced her. Maybe they had all died, you know, because there was another woman, if you remember, that met Jesus who the disciples asked when she gets to heaven, whose wife is she going to be? And they talked about her husband's dying. Anyway, so it, it was not totally uncommon for this to have occurred. So when she heard him say, I know where you are, what did she immediately say? You are a prophet. So she believed what that Deuteronomy passage, you know, that was in the first five books. You are a prophet. And she said, you know, you guys say this and we say this. And Jesus' response was about the worship. He said, believe me, the hour cometh. Now, this is a powerful statement. When you shall neither worship in this mountain, which was right here where they were, or at Jerusalem, worship the Father or Yahweh. You worship ye know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah or the prophet comes, which is called Christ. And he is come, he will tell us all things. And Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. Jesus tells her who he is. He simply says, he's told her about her husband's, where she's living, and he tells her, I'm, I'm going to tell you of truth. <laughs> you know, he begins, you got to worship. This is all about worship, not where, but how. And then he says, <clears throat> she says, a Messiah is coming. A prophet is coming, the Christ, and he's going to tell us all things. And she says, and, and when she says that, Jesus says what? I am he. I that speak unto thee am he. I'm that guy. And then what did he do? Abracadabra, make these stones into bread. Huh? Heal this blind man. What did he do? He just simply spoke a word. He did no magic, no miracles, no nothing at that moment. Now, he simply said, I am the Messiah. Now, why is that important? Because next verse, up walks his disciples, and they are amazed that he's talking with a woman and that nobody questioned him. This woman left her water pot, went her way into the city, saith to the men, come see a man who told me all things ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they came out of the city and came unto him. You jump down to the 39th verse of this fourth chapter. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman. 
which he testified. He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that... So when the Samaritans were coming to him, they besought him that he would tarry with them and he abode there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. We have no record of any miracles. No record that they said anything amazing happened. And he said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. After two days he departed thence and went into Galilee. Now later in Galilee, Jesus is going to say to those people, There are some that will only have a word and they will believe. I've done miracles with you and you don't believe. It's like amazing. And if you go back to the prophecies that were written in Genesis, it said that the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh, Shiloh in that verse when Jacob prophesied was a, a Messiah until the Messiah come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And what he wrote to Joseph was kind of amazing whenever he spoke this to Jacob in the Old Testament in Genesis, the 49th chapter. He says, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. So Jesus was reaching back to the descendants of Joseph and basically when you read that on in the 49th chapter it says they are made strong by the mighty God of Jacob from thence is the shepherd the stone of Israel. Jesus was basically saying I have become the new Bethel. This Bethel this place that you all say is the house of God where Jacob was, now that is going to be me. And we know what later it's going to be. We are supposed to be the temple of the Holy Ghost. So when you read what this whole thing, and I know out of your belly shall flow rivers, and I, there's so much more that would go into this story. But what Jesus was doing in Genesis, the fourth chapter, was he was opening the door to the Samaritans. When you go for forward in the fifth chapter, uh, the Bible says there was a feast of the Jews, and now Jesus goes to the sheep market by a pool, which is in the Hebrew tongue, Bethesda, having five porches. Now, what's amazing is, I don't know if any of you read the Jerusalem poster, get some of the news from there, but they just found this new pool not long ago, you know, and they uncovered these five porches because people were always saying that the pool of Siloam they couldn't find, and they archaeologically did find it, and this this area, Bethesda, they just found archaeological evidence that 
in fact, um, that there was this pool uh, called Bethesda. And there was a great multitude of impotent folk, blind and, and halt and withered, and they were all laying around this pool. Now, waiting for the moving of the water. And then, interesting, the fourth verse says, For an angel went down at a certain season under the pool, troubled the water. Whosoever was first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatever disease he had. Where is that recorded in the Old Testament that angels would come down and trouble water? It's not. But the Greeks worship the god Asclepius who was a Greek god of healing. And they had this Greek god standing there with a stick and a snake running up it because supposedly this god was birthed by a snake. And it's interesting like the snake on a pole that the Hebrews had in the Old Testament, the Greeks, somebody had either stole that story and had a, wrote a whole new thing for a Greek god and supposedly that there were healing waters, that this Greek god would come down and touch waters and there would be some sort of a healing virtue in these five pools. And that's what the Greeks believed. When the Romans came, they embraced the Greek gods and they called it by a Latin name. I'll show you in a moment. But what does Jesus do? He says to the man, whether it was... Uh, a Jewish angel, or whether it was uh, superstition, he says to the guy, rise, take up your bed and walk. First he asked him, do you want to be healed? And the guy gave this lame excuse, you know, nobody's there to help me. And so Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made whole. Again, what did Jesus say? Abracadabra. He said, let me sprinkle this dust on you. Let me put this mud on your face. He didn't do anything. He just spoke a, a word. And when he spoke that word, it says immediately the man rose and he went, took up his bed. But the same day was the Sabbath. Now, the reason that I want to point out that this very well could have been a Greek place where people were conjuring to, or Roman later, you, to get healed, is because that makes the story even more powerful. Because here was a Jewish man at a place that he really shouldn't have been at, that Jesus walks in, and that's why he spies this one guy. Now, could he have done others? But he was, this was probably a man that shouldn't have been at those pools. Because it was like he was trying to rely on their gods to heal him. And Jesus walks in, speaks a word. Now, when the Jews saw him, 
carrying his bed, what is it that they immediately said? It's not lawful for you to carry your bed on the Sabbath. And this guy was a perfect excuse for a man. He made an excuse. We can always find an excuse for everything we do, can't we, men? Ladies don't, but we can. Well, I couldn't do it because whatever. And immediately this guy said, whoa, wait, 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 wait a minute. Uh, he that made me hold the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. And he said, well, they go, well, who was it? He goes, I don't know who it was. I, when it happened, I just, you know, got up and there was a multitude and I don't even know who it was. Now, what's interesting is Jesus found him in the temple later and said, Behold, thou art made whole, sin no more. So what was the sin that he was doing that the Lord told him to stop? You can almost infer that he was trying to rely on another source for his healing rather than to talk to Jehovah. He was, the irony is, you know, Asclopolis, whatever the Greek word is, and Asclopolis, whatever, however the Romans embraced the Greek gods. The irony is that here's this guy probably waiting for some healing because we have no idea where, when you read that story, it's like, where would a, a Jewish man believe that an angel touched the water? There's no record of it in the Old Testament of the angels coming down and touching water and people jumping in. So the whole point is that this probably was a, a man that was embracing, trying to get his through another method without relying on the Lord. And so Basically, when, when the man left, when Jesus talked to him and told him, go and sin no more, he told the Jews, it was Jesus that made me whole. And the Jews then got mad. They sent to persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done those things when? On the Sabbath. They were not mad that the guy was healed. They weren't excited that the guy was healed. They weren't excited that the Lord had rescued this guy out of, you know, following the wrong thing. But they were angry that he was healing on the Sabbath. Now, the next verse says, Jesus answered them, and this is what's amazing. My father works hitherto, and I work. He's basically saying, I'm the same as God because God can work on the Sabbath. I can work on the Sabbath. Now you would think that they would, that would have taken them up into the third heaven with anger because therefore the Jews sought the more to kill him. Because not only had he broken the Sabbath, and John reads that in the, in the next verse, the 18th verse, but because not only had he broken the Sabbath, but because he said that God was his father making himself equal to God. So 
they heard a word. Plus, they saw miracles. Should they have immediately believed? The Samaritans only heard a word. They saw no miracles, and many of the Samaritans believed. The Jews, on the other hand, did not. And now, in the fifth chapter, from verses 19 to 30, it is what's called a, a chasm, a, a chiasm, uh, which is a way of arguing that you, you have this, and then you have this, and then you have this first, and then you have this first, and then you have this first, and then you have this first. And it's sort of like it's driving a point home. And John, from the verse 19 to 30, verses 19 and 30, talk about the power of that fact that the son did nothing of himself, verse 20 and 21 is coupled with 28 and 29 when he talked about only God is able to resurrect from the dead and basically the son is able to do that. And then verse 22 and 23 with 26 and 27, the power of being able to judge. And then 24 and 25, that hearing our word, the word of God will bring life. And so what you see is John the Gospel of John writes a very powerful, like driving a point home that this, in fact, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the Son of God. Jesus was the prophet. Jesus was the one. And he proves unequivocally that he was the one. And then Jesus himself uh, turns and said, if I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. In other words, I don't have to be the one. There's another that bears witness. And he goes through three things that bore witness. One, he talks about John the Baptist. Then he talks about there's a greater witness than John, and that is the works that I've done. The, which the Father gave me to finish, those works bear witness of me. And then finally, the word of God bears witness of me. Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, for they are they that testify of me. What was Jesus pounding home? He was saying that, let me tell you something. I am here to tell you that I do not receive this honor from men. In fact, like verse 41, he said, I receive not honor from men because that's where they got their honor. Verse 44, how can you believe which receive honor of one another and seek not the honor that comes from God only? In other words, what, you, what Jesus was telling them was, in fact, I want to tell you something. You are only in the position you're in because you honor one another and you've played the game. My honor comes from God Almighty. And he pounds those three witnesses, John the Baptist, the miracles, and the scriptures. And he said, don't think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one that accuses you, even Moses, in whom you trust. For had you believed Moses, had you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. What was he saying? I just left a place where all I did was tell a woman how many husbands she had. Isn't that amazing? There are people that can come to God that just accept the word of God. 
And then there are those, and I've, I've, I've tried to teach them Bible study. I don't mind any questions. But you can almost see an attitude on them just like the Jews. I'm going to prove you wrong. I'm going to prove to you that I don't have to do this. I'm going to prove to you that this is not for me. I'm going to prove to you that, I, that my family, I'm going to prove to you. And when they have that, it's just like the Jews. You say, do you still try to witness to them? Sure. But what does Deuteronomy say? The mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And so here John, Jesus hammers through those witnesses. Now I know, <clears throat> and I know I'm going fast, and there may be questions, and I'll be glad to, you can send me a text. I'll answer them. I'll try to slow down if, if that would help. But the point is that Jesus was trying to show them I am who I say I am. So when people say, why wouldn't Jesus reveal himself? Why didn't Jesus show them who he was? He was doing it. He came into his own and his own. Jesus was doing everything he could to reach the Jews. He was able to reach the Samaritans. All only with a word. He did miracles. After this, the sixth chapter, he went over the Sea of Galilee and a great multitude followed him. And why? Because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. They go up a mountain. It was Passover. This is the second Passover that John records. He feeds the 5,000 with five barley loaves, two little fish. When you read the story, it says he sat them on the hills where there was much grass. You get a picture, a visual imagery of a shepherd with his sheep. And notice what they say in verse 14 when they see the miracle of the loaves and fishes. Then these men which had seen the miracle, what Jesus did, said... This is of a truth that prophet that should come into the world. They believed he was the one. And yet, he knew they would try to take him by force and make him king. And it was not his hour. He was not trying to set up an earthly kingdom. And what's amazing is all of those that believed they didn't show up at the cross. They couldn't conceive that Jesus was going to have to go to Calvary. So he, they said almost the very same things that the Samaritans had called him. Important distinction was that he did no miracles. And these folks were following him because of the miracles. In fact, what is he going to say to these people? I know why you followed me. For what you could get out of me for the loaves and fishes. And I know sometimes people look and they say, what's the church good for? It's there to be a social program and to help. And we do our best to help folks and we do our best to help as much as we can. <clears throat> but a person ought to at least be a believer. What are you saying? And they need to embrace the Samaritans, they asked Jesus to stay. They opened their heart. 
their door of their heart to him. And I know people that will just say, you know, they, they, they just want the church or whomever program to do for me, do for me, do for me. And they miss the fact that the Lord did these things in order to prove who he was, that he was the Christ. Oh, what a privilege it is that we have, that we know who Jesus is. If he never does another miracle, if he never opens another blinded eyes, and I've had people say, where are the miracles? Why aren't there miracles? Why aren't there miracles like there are miracles? I still believe. I've heard, I've seen miracles, I've heard of miracles, but if I never saw one or never heard of one, I still believe. I am not going to allow myself to be like those renegade Jews that it's all about, you got to prove it to me. And, and what's amazing is you'll read in some of those scriptures that I've passed over where they will come, he'll do a miracle, and you know what they'll say? Give us a sign of who you are. Well, I just fed 5,000. Is that? No, we want a sign. You know, if you're not ready to just be a believer, it's nobody that can convince you. You got to open your heart. And I've been frustrated when I've tried to witness to people and say, why don't they just, do you know what? Until they're ready to open their heart, say, Lord, I want to believe. Because it doesn't take a great miracle to convince somebody. If they'll just open their heart, the Lord will touch it. He'll reveal himself to them. Let's stand. We'll try to go through a few more of these chapters. I know there's a whole lot I skipped over, but I'm so glad that I know who he is, aren't you? Don't forget Saturday, Friday morning, Sunday afternoon, lunch. Hallelujah. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you.